Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. And today we're talking about welcoming, welcomed and belonging. I'm going to look at... Uh, why a baby born back then can help us start again. If you're ever in that place where you feel like you've lost contact, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, we, there's a lot of prodigals out there. A lot of people feel like they're in a relationship with the Lord. Fact is, they probably still have a relationship. They've just lost fellowship. And God wants to restore that. And maybe that's for you today. But the bottom line is, you never should feel alone, and God doesn't want you to feel alone. You can be set in a family, a spiritual family. This is what the church, this is one of the beauties about a church. With this, One of the greatest values is we have a place to belong. I love the story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15, call it the uh, uh, parable of the lost son or the two sons. Anyway, there, there were two sons that this father had, and the younger son came to him. And he asked for his share of the inheritance. His father gave him his share and he says he went off and participated in wild living, whatever that was. But he spent everything he had and he ended up up to his ankles in mud, staring into the face of a hog, right? Feeding swine in a field. Boy, he did not like that. He was demoralized, depressed, defeated, and starving. And he wanted nothing more than to just go home. To somehow find himself back in the good graces of his father. He would even become a hired servant if that's what he could do. He would do anything. And so he finally mustered up enough courage, headed home. Much to his surprise and his delight, his father was waiting for him. He was met with a large, healthy embrace. His father kissed him, wept over him, rejoiced over him, gave him a ring, robe, and shoes, all symbols of different aspects of his restoration. And it was all followed by a grand celebration. A fatted calf was slaughtered, and they brought everyone together, and they celebrated. What a joy for that father. What a joy for the son to know that he once again can belong. He's been welcomed home. He's no longer alone. There's nothing like being alone. If you ever felt that sense of aloneness, it's a difficult place to live. You know, Wednesday on our prayer meetings, we have every Wednesday. It's not uncommon that we don't pray for prodigals because we know Alaska's full of prodigals. And there's sons and daughters out there. They've gone to the far country. Some even sit in... The seat's next to us, yet their hearts are gone. They're out there. And we're calling them home, and they're coming home. Some are coming home. We see it all the time. And we'll never stop calling on God on behalf of those who are out of fellowship to bring them back in. Because there's a longing of, to, to belong to a family in every one of us. It's there. God put it there. God created us to belong, to belong to him and to belong to his family. From the very beginning, we see the story of Adam and Eve. You could go all the way back there and see where God created family. He created Adam and Eve. He created a whole family. They belonged to him and they belonged to each other. 
They had great fellowship. And that same sense of belonging resides in all of us. Now, if you ever uh, been on the outside looking in, or you felt like you wanted to belong, no, we just think we go through this when we're young, when we're growing up. We uh, do all kinds of crazy things to belong, right? Say, hey, guys, look at this. It doesn't go so well. End up in an emergency room, maybe you've broken bones, maybe you've done some crazy things because you wanted to belong. Some of us have even gone so far as it led to an addiction. But that's what sin does. We have this desire to belong, but it perverts how we grab a hold of that, how we pursue it, how we try to belong. It distorts it. You see this from the very beginning, you know, when sin entered the world, well, we'll look at the first Adam, and Jesus was the last Adam. In Genesis chapter 3, this is the result of when they dropped the vase, when they sinned, when they blew it. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they were, knew that they were naked, and that they had sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the of God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord called out to Adam and said to him, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So here's how it unfolds. You know, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden and of course, God is calling out to them and they hear him and they hide. Why did they hide? It's because something, something was missing. Fellowship evaporated. Relationship was severed. They were on the outside now looking in. Now for the first time, they felt like they did not belong. They felt like something drastic had happened. Darkness settled in. And God said, where are you? He knew exactly where they were. But Adam didn't know because sin so quickly blinds us and he he knew immediately there was a problem, and he felt this sense of separation from God. The once That sweet fellowship he once had had has is, is been broken and, and severed. Now, so I have good news for you this morning, and I will get to that. I always do, but there's some bad news I need to deliver to you first of all. And that bad news is that we've seen, very, <laughs> which originated in the garden, is we were born rejected. It's how we come into this world. And that's why we do stupid things sometimes to get accepted. Because we try to figure out how can I get in the inside? How can I work this out on my own? But the Bible says in Isaiah 59 too that it's your iniquities have separated you from God. And then Romans 2.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We've all done that. We know. We might say, well, I don't sin as much. Well, it doesn't really matter. We've already done that. And it says, it doesn't say, and have fallen short of the glory of God. It says, uh, we are in that present tense. We are right now fallen short of the glory of God. That's the plight that we're in, the problem we're in. Now, uh, if you were to tear that word apart, sin, it's a, uh, Hamartano, which is a Greek word for sin, and, and uh, I'm going to give you an understanding of this, uh, because if you look at the Greek New Testament, 
A lot of the words have a military root or a sporting root to them. For instance, the scripture that says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That rule, that word is a sporting root and it means umpire, right? It means the peace of God will say, you're out or you're safe. Here's the line, stay within those lines. Must be an umpire for our hearts. There's also the one that says, the peace of God Guard your heart. That guard is a military route, and it means garrison. It means as though God is going to put a garrison of soldiers around your heart to protect it so you can maintain that peace. Pretty cool stuff, isn't it? That's where you come to all have sinned. Hamartano is a Greek word, and it means to miss the mark. It has a sporting route to it. It's an archery term, and it's referring to this bullseye on the target that you must hit directly in that bullseye. But the problem is, the Bible's saying that none of us have done that. You could be in the outer ring somewhere, or you could miss the target altogether. It really doesn't matter. The bottom line is, if you haven't hit the bullseye, we're all in the same camp. And the Bible says, this is what's happened. We all have missed it. We're all outside, looking in. But God says, I'm going to find a way to make you belong once again, to restore that which has separated you from God. So here we are, we're born rejected. I think we understand that. Born separated from God, from a holy God. Holy God. Holy means set apart. And we've been set apart now somehow from our relationship. That's the bad news. But it gets worse. <laughs> Not only are we born rejected uh, from God, but we're, we are, as I said, born separated because of sin. And that's the worst news the worst news actually is you have to be perfect to be accepted. Now, how, how does a perfect God, how does he pull that off? How do we pull that off? Well, you have to be perfect to be accepted, so you might be thinking, well, that's impossible. And you are absolutely right. Lots of scriptural examples. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, how can I be accepted into the kingdom of God, right? How can I make this, cross this bridge and make my way to God. And, and Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the lives of people, and he would put his finger on them. He knew that this young man had a lot of wealth, but not only that, there's nothing wrong with wealth, but that wealth had him. He didn't have it. It had him. Possessed him. And that was his whole life. And he didn't want to give it up, and Jesus knew that. So Jesus said, sell everything you got, give it to the poor, follow me. Make me number one. He's like, can't do that. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, yeah, it's really tough for a rich man to get to heaven. It's really impossible. It's like a camel trying to go through an eye of a needle. Remember that statement? Well, first of all, let me tell you something. First of all, I have to clear this up because there is no gate in Israel that's called the eye of a needle that if a camel gets down and gets the load off its back, it can slip through. Somebody made that up. It's not true. Jesus actually met a camel going through an eye of a needle. And a lot of times Jesus used uh, sarcasm and stuff to get the message across. And people a lot of times would laugh. Ah, that's so funny, Jesus. You're, you're just so funny. You know, and, you know, but you're getting a point across. You just can't do it. It's impossible. You, you can't save yourself is what he was saying. You cannot do this. God is holy. You're, you're so far set apart and distant. The chasm. You've got to be perfect. 
The Bible reinforces that. Look at Leviticus 22, 21. It says, and, when, and whoever offers a sacrifice, a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a free will offering for from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall not be one defect. No defects. It's pretty tough. Got to be perfect to be accepted. Here's the good news. Jesus is the perfect offering. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week, how it's all about Jesus. We got to keep revisiting this. We forget it often, roll up our sleeves and try to do it ourselves. Well, Jesus did that for us. Jesus is the perfect one. He came and was the perfect offering because it had to be a perfect offering in order to be accepted by a perfect God. In Genesis, as I, we looked at at the beginning with, we talked about the first Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, we see the last Adam, Jesus. It says, and so it is written, the first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam became the life-giving spirit. He's speaking of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all died, even so in Christ, who was the last Adam, all was made alive. So Jesus became the perfect one. Now, that was his mission. That's what Christmas is about. That baby who was born back then, who can come and help us start again. This is Jesus who was born a virgin, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. God put on skin. He put on flesh. And he lived and walked among us, and he was perfect, and he was sinless, and he was falsely accused. He was crucified. He absorbed all the wickedness and the sin, yours and my sin, upon himself, judged in our place, absorbing the wrath of God so you and I can step outside the path of the wrath because we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord who took all of our sin and wickedness upon himself, became that perfect sacrifice. Therefore, he gave his life for you and me, conquered sin, death, and hell in the grave, rose again, and our faith is in him. That's what really Christmas is all about. We put our faith in him. He's the righteous one. And he was accepted on our behalf. Now we can all be adopted. Jesus made us so we could be adopted. We could become children again of the most high God. We could become royalty. This is great and grand news for all of us. Jesus made you and me perfect. Not by your performance. Not by your progress but by your position. You are positionally made perfect. That's why Ephesians says, now you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We're, we have been qualified, no longer disqualified. Cleansed completely. And he had to do it completely because if he left something out, then you and I would not be accepted. Had to be perfect. Hebrews refers to this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. In other words, you are who are becoming more and more like Jesus. We're on this journey. He's transforming us, right? We are being perfected. Still got work to do. Relax and enjoy the journey. You have the Holy Spirit. He counsels you. He talks to you. He directs you. He disciplines you. He guides you. And he strengthens you. And he's doing a work in you. And it's working its way out. Beautiful thing. A lot of verses that reinforce this in the scripture. I'm going to give you one more in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. It starts out by talking a little bit about the church. It's a little bit different, but it's got a great punchline. 
It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and the holy city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, talking about you and me, who are registered in heaven, our names are registered in heaven, to the God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men, made perfect. You are being made perfect. Hmm. I hope you're getting this down in you because I know how bad I've been and I know what I'm capable of. This is good news. The perfect offering made perfect in my position with the perfect father. Hallelujah. The only way I could be perfect is by grace. You have to look and approach this through your eyes on Jesus alone, who is the one and who embodied grace. Jesus said in, in the Sermon on the Mount, and many of people have really got this verse wrong. They messed it up. But it's Matthew 5, 48, and it says this. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You mean I got to be perfect in my behavior? No. The key is you shall be. When Jesus said this, he had not yet gone to the cross. He was telling the people, I'm the perfect sacrifice. When I become the perfect one and take that step, you shall be perfected. So he's looking at these people and saying, this is what's going to happen. So you can have relationship with the perfect one. Otherwise, there's no way this verse could be fulfilled because he adds, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Not only shall you be perfect, but you have got to be perfect like God. And only Jesus can pull that off. And he did it by his grace. Now, if you're a perfectionist, and I said, are you a perfectionist? You'd say no. Perfectionists will never fess up, right? I know. <laughs> some of you are like, some of you are living with a perfectionist, <laughs> and you're like, ah! <laughs> so quiet in this house. <clears throat> um, usually what they say is, no, I just like excellence. Okay. We'll go with that, right? We'll go with the excellence part. You know, I've tried to preach perfect messages. Believe me, I've worked really hard to try to do that. And I realize it just ain't going to happen. You know why? It has to filter through this. <laughs> I'm just not all there, right? Sometimes. I'm not perfect, right? I mean, even now, my voice is going out. Proof of I'm really flawed, right? <clears throat> and I walk with a limp, too, you know? Uh, so, yeah. Um, only Jesus, right? One person. Our goal and our Father's goal is to become like Jesus Christ. And we're on this journey and he's perfecting us. And the Holy Spirit's helping us and anointing us and gracing us. All right? So if you, um, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you've stepped out. I'm sure you have, many of you have. And you start doing some things you've never done before for Jesus. And it gets pretty fun, doesn't it? You're going like, this is so cool what God is doing. He's using me this way. And, and, but whenever that happens, and it happens, you know, I've done this, been on this journey at the same time, your flaws become more glaring. You kind of go, I did this, but wow, I'm so, I could really mess this up right now. I mean, I know what I'm capable of, and I know how I can screw up. And so, you know, you're, you, you get this, 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 this uh, it's just glaring. I, 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 I'm doing this, is great, man, and all of a sudden, I'll, and um, so you get a little nervous, and you start thinking, okay, God, I'm, little, I'm in it a little over my head right now, and and I, I know I can't totally pull this off, and I'm getting a little overwhelmed and stressed because you start seeing your own flaws in the midst of all this. 
And so you're saying, God, you're going to have to really help me. And then God finally goes, well, I kind of been doing it all along anyway. Right? And, and, and even what you thought that you could do, he did it. And even what you thought you had the ability to do, whatever that was, he's been doing it. Bottom line is, God does a pretty good job through us, doesn't he? Here's the good news. We belong. You belong. I belong. We're, we were born rejected, but the good news is we're born again accepted. Accepted. It's beautiful what Jesus has done. I've been accepted Jesus on Jesus' performance and not my own performance. Ephesians 1.6, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Mark 9.41, a very familiar verse says, Whoever gives a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And we think, I got a reward because I gave something. I gave a cup of, no, no, no. Jesus says, you're getting the reward not by your doing, but by your being, because you belong to me. He says, you do things out of belonging to me, rewards fly your way. It's all about being not doing. Doing is a result of being. And so here we are enjoying this journey. But if we miss the being, we miss the belonging. But he purchased us. And now we belong to God and his family. You belong to God, you're going to belong to his family. The church is, is the family of God. It's, it's uh, his body expressed on earth right here. This is his body. You know, Jesus had a family, he had a physical family. He began his spiritual family with his disciples. But we know that after his resurrection, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and 3,000 were saved through Peter preached his first sermon and, and his, his body was expanded immediately. And it continues to expand even to this day. His spiritual body, his spiritual family is expanding. Because he wants, he wants his followers, all of us, to belong and to be a part of his family and to be a part of his family now. And those of you, you've come in here today, that's because this is your family. It's part of your family. I love that verse, Psalms 68.6. God sets the solitary in family. I see that so much when people come in and they've just felt so alone and they give their life to Christ and they begin their journey with it and they feel like they've been set in a family. That's exactly what Jesus does. That's possible because Jesus was rejected for us. There's this theological term called substitutionary atonement. It simply means this, Jesus is our substitute. He took our place. Okay, that's what he did. He became the sin offering and was rejected so you and I could be accepted. Now that you and I can belong to God, Jesus was rejected so we could belong to God's family. You know, Jesus was rejected by all kinds of people, even God's so-called family. Isaiah 53, 3 says he was despised and rejected by men. Mark 8, 31, he began teaching, and it says the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, scribes. These are God's so-called, they were supposed to be God's family. Then he was to be killed and for three days rise again from the dead. Psalms 118 prophesies that Jesus was the stone which the builders rejected. He became the chief cornerstone. And it's echoed again in Acts chapter 4. This is the stone by which was rejected by you builders. It has become the chief cornerstone. 
So we see how he was rejected by people. He suffered a lot of rejection. Rejection. If, if, if you're a believer, though, rest assured, God will never reject you. The reason why Jesus uh, was rejected was for you and me. Hebrews 13.5 says, For he himself said, this is God, what he has said. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never do that. He'll never do that when you're walking with Jesus. You're, you're accepted and you belong. And this is what happened when sin entered the world. This is where we began. We're Adam and Eve. This is what they felt. They felt the shame and the fear. They felt alone. They felt like they didn't belong. And, and this, is, this is why we struggle with this. In my journey in ministry, I'm telling you, I, I have seen this more than anything else, this struggle with believers and its rejection. It's a plague. Everyone experience, experiences rejection in this life. Every one of us, I guarantee you, in this room have been touched by rejection in your journey. It's a huge struggle. I believe there is a wicked spirit on this planet assigned to every person to get them to be rejected. It's a spirit of rejection. Because he wants to sow that seed somehow so that you will doubt God's love. You'll doubt that reality that you have been accepted just enough to cause you to live a little less than or to doubt his love or his, the sense of security and confidence he calls you to live in. That's what rejection does. He wants you to live there. And I've seen believers even follow Jesus and struggle with this for years. People who've been deeply wounded or have really experienced it in their past, they've had to go back and revisit and forgive and get healed and then get in the word and begin to devour the truth and who they were in Christ and solidify their identity in Jesus. And it's, it doesn't happen overnight because this rejection spirit is strong and we wrestle with it. That's why people will go uh, seasons feeling unloved. Maybe you're here today and you feel unlovable. That's why we've, we've wrestled with this and we say, you know, I've, the rejection I've experienced was painful and therefore I'm going to reject that person before they reject me because I'm not going through that again. So I'm going to keep people out here and I'll just keep that because it's the fear of rejection and it's just, it's like a web that gets in our lives and we keep people here and keep people there. And I'll reject that person and then I'll go let this person and it's, it's dark and it's devious. It's a fear of rejection. We might believe there's no reason that anybody should love us or love me. But the truth is, for all of us, that there really is no reason that God should love us. Really. I mean, it's really unreasonable to think that God could love us. But you got to see what the Bible says about this. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, his enemies, Christ died for us. In other words, let me say it this way. God demonstrates his love towards us that there was no reason to love us. Even when there wasn't a reason, he still loves us. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. You realize, really, ultimately, there's no reason why God will reject you when you come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. There's no reason why he would reject you. You know why you love your spouse? I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why you do. One is because they belong to you. 
You know why you love your children? And why you have this unexplainable loyalty towards them? It's because they belong to you. You know why God loves you? You belong to him. You're his. Through his son. You're in his family. And, and he, he, he loves you because you belong to him. We got to get that down inside us. You belong to Christ. If you believe, you belong to Christ and you belong to Christ's body. You belong to his family, the church. You know, <clears throat> we all have the same father. Father God. There's a saying out there, you can pick your friends, but you sure can't pick your relatives. <laughs> I guess we're all relatives, right? And we all got the same father. Oh, well, we're stuck together. Even in heaven, we're going to be there, man. This is how it is. Because you were born rejected, but you're born again accepted. Hallelujah. You might be alone here today, feeling like you once belonged, but you walked away. God says, I make a way for you to come home. Have the worship team come out. I'm going to tell you a story. Um, Jim Simbola, pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church, is a very large church in New York. They're known for their Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, powerful music. And uh, it's a church known for its prayer and intercession. He's a, the pastor himself is an intercessor. He's a, just a prayer guy. And uh, <clears throat> he... I heard him in once tell the story, and he has three kids, and his oldest daughter is Chrissy. At the age of 16, she started pulling away from God. She started pulling away from mom and dad and the family. And he said he and his wife went through the two and a half darkest years of their life because she just went, she just left. Into the whole drug scene, living on the streets, you name it. She was out there. They did everything possible to get her back. They tried everything they could do. Nothing worked. She was hard, rebellious, and just sat. They had no idea where she was most of the time. They didn't know she was alive or dead. He said it was agonizing. He said there were, there were times he would have to drive the church Sunday morning to preach three services, and he would... Take him 25 minutes to get there, and he would bawl the whole way there, crying out to God on behalf of his daughter, if he didn't even know she was alive, just begging God to bring her back. And then he would say, God, how am I going to face these people? How, as a pastor, how am I going to stand before these people and preach three services? How can I do this? And God would miraculously get them through one more day. Well, they had a Tuesday night prayer meeting. It was one night of the week. They had it every night on Tuesday night every week. It was packed out. This church, they had people getting saved, prostitutes, drug addicts, people come off the street. They were getting saved. They were raw. It was real. They didn't have worship. They just, it was just a crying out to God, calling on God prayer meeting. Just the whole place would just pack in there, and people were desperate. And this went on, and one Tuesday night, he was there, and somebody slipped him a note and said, Pastor, I feel as though we should pray for your daughter tonight, Chrissy. And he he um, hesitated because he didn't want things to be turned on him, you know, just his, all this attention. But he just felt like it was something that needed to be done. So he said he grabbed the microphone to lead the church in prayer for his daughter one more time. He said his tear ducts had run dry. And he, he just dug deep and he 
he began to cry out and call on God the best he could with what little faith was left. He said, at that moment, something supernatural happened. He said, it was though that room was transformed into a birthing room. He said, people began to moan and groan like they were in labor. He said, people began to cry out to God and shout down the devil saying, hell, you got to let her go. Satan, you will not have her. You will not have this girl. You get your hands off of her. He said, war began to break out in the heavens. He said it was so powerful that it literally almost knocked him to the ground. Something happened. So he went home that night after that prayer meeting and he looked at his wife and he said, the war is over. It's done. It's finished. God did something. 32 hours went by. Two days later, he's in the bathroom shaving. His wife comes bursting through the door, says, honey, you got to go downstairs. Our daughter's home. Chrissy's back. She's home. He, he was stunned, and he wiped the stuff off his face, and he ran downstairs, and he turns the corner into the kitchen, and there's his daughter on her hands and knees, rocking back and forth, sobbing. And she just, she crawls on her hands and knees over to her daddy. She grabs his pant legs. And she says, Daddy, I'm so sorry. Please take me back. I've been so rebellious. I've been so hard. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against Mommy. Please take me back. I'm so sorry. I for Please forgive me. And he knelt down and he grabbed her in his arms. And he held her and they just wept. Because his baby girl is home so powerful. And then she said, Daddy, Tuesday night, who was praying for me? Who was praying for me? Who prayed for me? She said, because I woke up and I, I saw that I was sliding into this bottomless pit. It had no bottom to it. And I was, I was doomed. I was, I've gone too far. I was so hard. And I was sliding into this pit. And she said, but then I felt the Father's arms wrap around me. And he kept me from sliding any further. And he said, Chrissy, I still love you. That was Tuesday night when they were calling on God. Yeah. Later on, Chrissy enrolled in Bible college. She married. They have three kids. Her husband's a pastor. And they're thriving in ministry today. Hallelujah. Can we stand together? She's home. Welcomed home. Belonging once again. My friends, I know there are some out there, you have sons and daughters, and they're out there. You don't know what to do. You've been praying. You've been calling on God. I'm going to tell you, you keep calling on God. You keep crying out to God. You keep praying. Don't give up. Because as long as you're doing that, God's got his arms around them. No matter how it looks, prodigals are coming home. God wants them back. He wants them back more than you and I do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. 